Killing Type, a novel by Wayne Jones. Chapter 21 Oh, but I do tire recounting and counting these murders. Let me pretend to be a temporary memory lapse and say that I believe this is the ninth person killed. I do believe truly and fully and absolutely. I believe and I know that this is the ninth horror visited upon this town. WTF, what the fuck, I saw scrawled on a limestone wall in the west end of town, the full version of which Wilson, the raver, has spat in my face many times. What the fuck? Sometimes a question and sometimes a howl of anger. I shall dispense quickly with the details of this one, and in fact the killer seems to be degrading to the most primal level. Poor Eugene Oakwin was simply beaten to death. His face, and I revert to non-technical terminology now, smashed in. The upper part of his skull, ditto, crushed. He was a well-muscled man, six feet tall and weighing about 225 pounds. These facts surprised me. I would have imagined a lazy killer by now, less self-assured, practicing the time-honored tradition of picking on the little guy in the schoolyard. But evidently, even after so much death and so much study, I still do not quite understand the mentality. Let me consult one of the borrowed monographs which I have here. Quote, the serial killer is emboldened with every murder, and particularly so with his continuous success in eluding capture. Some criminologists maintain that the killer wants to be caught and will often taunt the police or even leave clues, but this only adds to his enjoyment and cockiness. The typical serial killer is also unlikely to slacken his pace. He will kill with the same or increased frequency and also with the same degree of, quote, imagination, unquote, and brutality, end of quote. One wonders why they stop at all or why at five or ten instead of a thousand. I imagine two scenarios. In the first, a man with the potential, some say there's a gene, though I am skeptical of that research, to be a serial killer is so disgusted with the results as it demonstrated in his first victim that he desists immediately and, in cases of a strong conscience, turns himself into the police in order to rid society of his scourge. The second scenario is the polar killer opposite of this, an animal made only more ravenous by the taste of blood perhaps even going out of his way to ensure that there's absolutely no motives for the killings other than the killings themselves, a purist, so to speak. He is absolutely conscious of exactly what he is doing at all times. He is not crazy or out of control. He is not, no, he is not the monster in the sense of a mere animal doing his sloppy primal deeds. Those de deeds of a course, are, of course, monstrous. On the contrary, he has calculated all of this. He is a meticulous planner. Picture, reader, picture the celebrated crocodile stalking the zebra trying to cross a river. The event does not occur in a flurry of unbridled passion, but very carefully, patiently, waiting and waiting until the time is right and then all the energy that has been conserved, pent up, 
is released in a savage flurry, the lunge and then the inevitable capture. All sectors of the town seem to be outraged in unison at this latest installment. The Gazette publishes a special afternoon edition of the paper with the front page devoted entirely to an editorial entitled Stop It Now. It's a very thin issue, just the one section, with some updates on national and international events, but demonstrating its purpose on that front page and in fact wearing it rather proudly. I like the ambiguity of the plea simultaneously a quiet command directly to the killer, as well as a call for the police to marshal whatever investigative abilities they have to solve the case. The tone betrays the mix of emotions which evidently and understandably inspired it, though heavily dominated by anger, and hence there is a lack of care to the actual writing that proves to be rather an embarrassment, even for a local small-town paper. I say that as a careful academic, of course, a man trained in rhetorical control, not meaning to disparage. However, I cringe particularly at the sinking to colloquialism, this guy, what's going on, and the pockmarking with what I hope are not the manifestations of general error editorial standards, but rather typographical and grammatical errors brought on by the hasty production. Overall, it's fairly impossible to dispute the basic sentiment. Quote, this town of 120,000 people has seen nine of our own brutally murdered, and with the police department not being able to capitalize on a single lead which has come its way, whoever it is that calls in extra forces, the OPP, the RCMP, the guy in Die Hard, needs to call them in now and solve this before we see the tenth person go down. Go down is not quite the right tone, of course, but perhaps I quibble, and I do not allow enough for the anger and frustration of the editors. I'm sitting at my favorite pub, the name based on one legend or another which I cannot quite remember. The waiter, bless him, is on his way to bring me my usual before I am even settled in my seat. Hey, Andrew. Hi. The range of sentiment is visible around the room, as I've found it has been in this room several times over the past months. What's changed is that it is narrower. I am not sure whether this is the influence of the editorial or whether both are symptoms of a malaise affecting, afflicting the whole town. There's shouting over near the pool table, and I do fear for the end result because the topic doesn't appear to be pool. There's a bona fide debate in the corner at the big table, less raucous than the pool combatants, but also threatening to heat itself up or down to stupidity. A man who appears to know me, but whom I can't place, plops himself down in the spare chair at my table. What a mess, he says, and my irritation with being imposed on blinds me for an instant to what he is referring to. Yes, I say, putting my faith in minimalism. Can I ask you something, he asks. I mean, some of the other guys have been saying that you're smart and that you've been investigating this shit. He pauses as if expecting me to affirm the veracity of his, in of his inane chatter. Go on, I manage. Well, it's like this. We're just at the end of our goddamn rope and we don't know what to make of all this. 
I note the tiniest pinpoint of spittle forming at the intersection of his lips on the left side and fear the worst for myself. Nine people killed, he continues. No arrests, no leads, not a fucking thing from the police. There's some of the dumber guys here that suspect, you know, they have conspiracy theories, like the police are in on it or something. But most of us don't buy that. He takes a long sip of his beer as if preparing for the point of all this. It's like this, he says again, and I genuinely worry that he is going to repeat everything, that I may be the victim of a loop of drivel. We think you may have the answer and are just sitting on the big reveal for some reason. I take a sip of my own beer, languidly, lovingly, as I see that he really is finished talking and is consent, content to sit back and wait for me to opine to, if I must, reveal. Listen, Ralph, is it okay if I call you Ralph? My name is Frank. Listen, Ralph, I think you may have been partially misinformed. I'm not really investigating these murders. I'm writing a book and so trying to do some research, some in libraries and some on the street, so to speak, but it would be derelict and simply inaccurate to call it an investigation. Okay, sure, but do you have any, like, hunches or anything? Aside from me, a bigger sip by him, spittle now disappeared and hopefully not transferred. I find myself searching on the table in front of him for the deposit. Do you want me to be honest? Yes, sure, of course. It's like this, I say, just for the pleasure of noticing that he does not notice. I may myself have been critical of what the police have done or not done in the past. I may have said a few things to people right here in this bar, perhaps even to you, though I don't specifically recall ever having met you. But I've truly come to the conclusion, at this juncture now anyway, that the killer is just damn good, that even a more competent police force would still not have been able to track him down by now. I'm lying, but I think this is the shortest path to get him to go away satisfied. Better something explicit and semi-logical than the messy, realistic truth. He sits back in his chair, playing with a coaster and seeming to ponder the ridiculous howler I have just told him, mulling it, considering its non-existent intricacies. You may have a point there, he says, like some super killer. I can't conceal a smile at the summation that I would not have expected outside of a bad 24-hour news update on television. I have to feign a need to go to the bathroom, and so I get up and for a moment it seems like he is going to follow me, like a mopey teenager trailing his same-sex idol. But no, he has quickly and rather rudely posted himself at another table, and I hear another, it's like this, as I round the corner. So, the reader may be inquiring, what do I really think? If this ultimate town menace has not swallowed some potion, not had an exposed forearm bitten by a wily insect, not been laid prostrate by an ur-ogre and arisen with a murderous mission, if not, then why has he been able to persist not only without being captured, but also with the police not being able to come within a micron of even identifying a half-plausible suspect. 
I'm afraid the truth, or at least the truth that is available to my own humble proddings, is not a mess I have conceived from my recent interlocutor, interlocutor, but rather a simple admission. I do not know. I was being somewhat modest with him in quibbling over investigation, mostly to deflect annoying attention from the forensically illiterate, armed with only anger and goodwill and the dull recitations from one or other walk down the hall in CSI. Though it might sound defensive or sincerely insistent, I do feel that I have been carrying on an investigation, a journalistic one with perhaps not enough muck being raked, but an investigation nonetheless. And in between my outings for gumshoeing, I have made a true effort to allow myself time for reflection and analysis. Ralph Frank, whom I have met before, now that I think of it, in an earlier fit of desperation around murder five or so, asked me then to stand back. A crude and well-worn metaphor, just a smidge from hackneyed, but the old boy had a point. That's what my time alone has been for. I've spent many evenings in utter silence, just me on the couch with a precariously perched glass of courvoisier on my knee, reviewing the days and weeks and months, sifting the bad leads out of good evidence, trying to see a pattern in a series of bloody events which have defiled such reification. You can always count on a scholar for a fancy prose style. Most of these evenings, I've just gotten up stiffly after literal hours have passed, made as much noise raising myself as I generally make getting myself seated anywhere these days. I've had flashes, eureka moments when I've thought I made a connection which I haven't seen before, but by the time I've made it to the refrigerator for a beer or a virgin colada, it had all collapsed under the weight of its own illogicality. Of course, I have not been a complete dolt. I have pieced a few things together, connections even, but they amount in total to not much more than the basic edges around the jigsaw puzzle, the frame of jagged facts with a maw of emptiness gaping, yawning, fairly yelling at the center of it all.